Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we looked at the presidency of Frederick Franz, as well as several other Watchtower presidents. We saw that Frederick Franz testified during the Douglas Walsh court case and admitted under oath to the failed prophecies of the first two presidents of the Watchtower organization. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness, as well as Judge Rutherford, the second president of the Watchtower organization. Sadly, it wasn't just these two men who made prophecies that didn't come true. Nathan Knorr, the third president of the organization, also made false prophecies and even prophesied that the world would end in 1975. In fact, we learned that Jehovah's Witness members were encouraged to not to go to college, to not get married, or to have any children. More than that, they were even encouraged to sell their homes and give their money to the Watchtower organization in order to support what they called pioneer ministry. When these prophecies didn't come true, instead of taking responsibility for their actions and taking the blame for their own failed prophecies, in the July 15, 1976 edition of the Watchtower magazine, Watchtower leaders blamed their own members and told them that they have been naive and foolish. In the same article, Watchtower leaders told their members that they needed to stop being disappointed and ultimately to get over it. We learned that the significance of these failed prophecies is that these men were the first three presidents of the Watchtower organization, an organization that claims to be the mouthpiece of God. Or to quote page 439 of the July 15, 1960 edition of the Watchtower magazine, the Watchtower organization claims to be, quote, God's sole collective channel for the flow of biblical truth to men on earth, end quote. The problem with this is that God tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 to 22, that if someone claims to be a prophet of God, if those prophecies do not come true, they are a false prophet. From what we learned in our last episode, it's clear that these men were false prophets. Sadly, this means that the Watchtower organization is leading its members astray. They are leading their members away from biblical truth. Besides the many failed prophecies, we learn that Frederick Franz admitted under oath to not knowing Hebrew. The significance of this is that Franz was seen as the chief Bible scholar of the Watchtower organization and was the head of the translation committee for the New World Translation, which we'll look at in this episode. I now want to turn our attention to the New World Translation. If you've never heard of the New World Translation, it's the translation of the Bible that the Watchtower organization developed in 1950 under Nathan Norris' presidency. Regarding this particular translation of the Bible, there are several things that I'd like to bring to your attention. First is that the names of the translation committee have been kept private by the Watchtower organization. If you speak to Jehovah's Witnesses about this, they'll tell you that the reason for the secrecy is because these men wanted to remain humble. Jehovah's Witnesses argue that the translators desired Jehovah to receive all of the praise, honor, and glory. 
Members argue that the Watchtower also wants all glory to go to Jehovah, which is why the names have been kept anonymous. This is a message that the Watchtower organization has pushed since their translation was developed, and over the years, they have maintained this stance and continue to tell their members the same message. In fact, on pages 28 and 29 of the October 15, 1999 edition of the Watchtower magazine, the Watchtower organization wrote the following, quote, Just who translated this remarkable Bible? The Watchtower, September 15, 1950, said, The men who compose the translation committee have indicated their desire to remain anonymous and specifically do not want their names to be published while they are in life or after death. The purpose of the translation is to exalt the name of the living, true God. End quote. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In this verse, Jesus gives a clear warning to his audience to not practice righteousness in front of people for the sake of getting attention from them. The question we need to ask is, should we look at the secrecy of the translation committee as being an act of obedience to this verse? The answer to this question is no. This verse is a warning to people who are practicing their righteousness for the sake of getting attention. In other words, the attention, praise, approval, and acclaim of people is the ultimate goal of their actions, not actual service and obedience to their God. Later in the book of Matthew, Jesus makes this point clear. In Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 through 9, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13. In Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 through 9, Jesus addressing the Pharisees said the following, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 1, as well as Matthew chapter 15 verses 8 and 9, Jesus is not telling his audience that they shouldn't practice righteousness in front of people. He's saying, do not practice righteousness in front of people for the ultimate goal of getting attention and praise for yourself. Humility is always a good thing. So we need to ask ourselves, is that what's happening with the translation committee? Is the translation committee acting in a humble way by keeping their name secret? I'd argue that keeping the translation committee name secret was not an act of humility, but rather a further act of deception by the translation committee and the Watchtower organization. Let me explain why. The Watchtower has claimed that the Bible has been corrupted in numerous parts to deify Jesus Christ. They argue that Jesus was not God and that the church deified Jesus hundreds of years after his death and resurrection. They claim that in several parts of the Bible, Christians have erroneously interpreted verses to make it seem like Jesus was God, when in fact he was nothing more than a created being. There are two arguments being made. On the one side is Orthodox Christianity that claims that Jesus Christ is God the Son, as found in several parts of Scripture. 
On the other side, it's the Watchtower and its followers, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who claim that the Bible has been corrupted as well as erroneously translated. In order to settle this argument regarding the accuracy of biblical translation, it's important that credentials be verified. As we saw in an earlier episode, Charles Taze Russell made a lot of different claims about the Bible and the way that it was translated. Yet, he did not have any training of the biblical languages. Not only did Charles T. Russell not have any formal training with biblical languages, he could not even read Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic, which means that he had no ability to determine whether or not modern English Bibles had been erroneously translated from Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. Now, imagine you just had a house built. You went through the process of finding a contractor and you verified his credentials. The contractor that you chose is someone that has built many homes within your community and is a well-known and respected contractor. As the project is coming to completion, you find what appears to be a legal notice taped to the front door of your house stating that your home has not been built to code. On this notice, not only does it say that your home was not built to code, It also states that each of the other homes built by your contractor failed to meet many building codes and would need to be fixed immediately. Reading this note brought instant anxiety. You immediately take the notice to your contractor who reassures you that his work is always done to code. In fact, he shows you the paperwork showing that each step of the way, a building inspector from the county has come out and signed off on his progress. The contractor then points out that the notice you're holding in your hand, although making very serious accusations, did not come from any official government agency and didn't even come from a law office. You decide to let it go for the time being, since you're not sure where the notice came from and since it doesn't appear to come from any official government office. About a week later, you're checking out progress on your new home and you notice someone taping something to your door. It's the same notice as before. You then approach the person and ask them who they are and why they keep posting these notices. You ask them for their name, credentials, and who they work for. If they refuse to give you their name, list their credentials, or even let you know who they work for, would you take their notice seriously? At this point, the answer would be no. On the one side, You have a trusted and well-respected licensed contractor whom you have verified his credentials. Not only that, but you've verified that his work has been approved by different county building officials, all of which lends to the peace of mind that your home has been built to code. On the other hand, you have notices that have been posted on your front door claiming that your home has not been built to code. But the notices are coming from someone that will not tell you who they are or who they work for. At this point, who would you choose to trust? If the person posting the notices was a licensed contractor and was in fact working in an official capacity, they would share their credentials with you. However, since they refuse to do that, you would rightly ignore their posts and you would continue working with and trusting your current contractor. This is exactly what's happening with the Watchtower organization and their translation committee. Without their names being listed, their credentials cannot be verified. 
As with the analogy I just gave about the house being built, anyone can make a claim that something is erroneously put together. But those claims should be analyzed to see if there's any truth to them. Not only that, but the question should be asked, is the person making the accusations qualified to do so? The danger of not listing the names of people involved in translating the New World Translation is that there is no way for scholars to verify their credentials or qualifications. Did these men have advanced degrees in the biblical languages or textual criticism or any other related field? Were these men qualified to place judgment on the accuracy of modern biblical translations? And were these men qualified to develop their own translation of the Bible by translating the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek into English? These are very important questions that must be answered by the Watchtower. Although the Watchtower organization has tried their hardest to keep the names of the translators secret, the names of these men were eventually made public in 1983 by the late Raymond Franz in his book Crisis of Conscience. Raymond Franz was the nephew of Frederick Franz, who, if you recall, was the fourth president of the Watchtower organization from 1977 to 1992. Raymond wrote his book after leaving the Jehovah's Witness faith and becoming a Christian. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Brian, so Raymond was the nephew of Frederick Franz, and so what if he also was a Jehovah's Witness? This doesn't necessarily qualify him to be the whistleblower of the translation committee members. To this, I would have to agree. Just being related to the president of the Watchtower does not mean that that person has inside knowledge or that we should even accept that person's testimony. However, Raymond Franz wasn't just the nephew of Frederick Franz. Raymond Franz was a member of the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. If you're unfamiliar with Jehovah's Witnesses and the organizational structure of the Watchtower organization, besides the president, it's the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses that leads the Watchtower and its Jehovah's Witness members. So as you can see, Raymond Franz was a person who definitely had inside knowledge of the inner workings of the Watchtower organization. And in his book, Crisis of Conscience, Raymond Franz writes, quote, the New World Translation bears no translator's name and is presented as an anonymous work of the New World Translation Committee. Other names of that committee were Nathan Knorr, Albert Schroeder, and George Genghis. Fred Franz, however, was the only one with sufficient knowledge of the Bible languages to attempt translation of this kind. He had studied Greek for two years at the University of Cincinnati, but was only self-taught in Hebrew. End quote. In looking at Watchtower publications regarding these men, it was clear that none of these men were qualified to be part of a translation committee. Even Frederick Franz, who was the highest educated member of the translation committee and was considered to be the Watchtower's principal biblical scholar, didn't even finish college. In fact, I reached out to the University of Cincinnati, where he had attended, and I received a certified copy of his transcripts. His college transcripts show that he did actually take some undergraduate-level Greek courses, but he never completed his degree. In fact, according to these certified transcripts, his studies stopped midway through his junior year. 
Now, I've transferred from one college to another and finished my degree at a different university than the one I initially started at. So it could be argued that this is what happened here. However, according to Watchtower documents, this is not the case with Frederick Franz. He dropped out of the University of Cincinnati in order to pursue pioneer work, which I will come back to shortly. The only other member of the translation committee to have attended college was Albert Schroeder. However, according to page 31 of the September 15, 2006 edition of the Watchtower, although Albert Schroeder did attend the University of Michigan after high school, he dropped out. Or to quote the Watchtower, they say that, quote, he discontinued his secular studies to take up the full-time kingdom preaching work, end quote. So again, Frederick Franz and Albert Schroeder were the two highest educated men on the translation committee, and yet both of them dropped out of college before earning their undergraduate degrees. The two other men mentioned by Raymond Franz as being part of the translation committee was Nathan Knorr, who was the president of the Watchtower organization at the time, and a man by the name of George Genghis. However, both of these men lacked higher education. For example, on pages 26 and 27 of the July 1, 2004 Watchtower magazine, they give a brief biography of Nathan Knorr and do not mention any college education, except for training he received as a Jehovah's Witness. The Watchtower also gave an obituary for George Genghis on page 31 of the December 1, 1994 edition of the Watchtower magazine. In his obituary, they list his accomplishments. However, missing from his obituary is any mention of college or any education outside of the training he received through the Watchtower. Going back to Raymond Franz, I already mentioned the fact that he dropped out of the University of Cincinnati. But instead of just taking my word for it, I wanted to share with you what the Watchtower organization wrote about him. Like the other members that I just mentioned, the Watchtower provided an obituary for Frederick Franz too, and they did so on pages 31 and 32 of the March 15, 1993 edition of the Watchtower. In their obituary for Frederick Franz, they point out that Frederick Franz attended the University of Cincinnati, as I mentioned. They even explain that he was actually preparing to be a Presbyterian minister. While at the University of Cincinnati, he became a Jehovah's Witness, and according to the March 15, 1993 edition of the Watchtower, quote, he was baptized on November 30, 1913, and the following year he left the university and entered pioneer work, end quote. It's clear that none of these men were qualified to develop a translation of the Bible. Now, it could be argued that you don't have to go to college in order to be a good pastor. And I would agree with you. There have been many men who did not attend seminary and yet were wonderful pastors. However, that is not what we're talking about here. I don't have an issue with these men wanting to talk to people about the Bible without holding advanced degrees. Where there's a huge problem is when people claim that the Bible has been erroneously translated and then they develop their own translation of the Bible without having any training to do so. Even Frederick Franz 
with his several courses in undergraduate level Greek and being self-taught in Hebrew, was not qualified to produce his own translation of the Bible. The Watchtower and Jehovah's Witnesses like to claim that the New World Translation is extremely accurate and respected by biblical scholars. In fact, in several of their publications, they have quoted different biblical scholars and have claimed that these scholars support their translation of the scriptures. One such scholar was Dr. Julius Manti. The Watchtower cited his book, A Manual Grammar of the Greek New Testament, in the June 15, 1974 edition of the Watchtower, the October 1, 1962 edition of the Watchtower magazine, and the August 15, 1961 edition of the Watchtower. In response to the Watchtower and Jehovah's Witnesses constantly misquoting his Greek grammar, Dr. Manti wrote a letter to the Watchtower. A copy of his letter can be found in the book The Facts on Jehovah's Witnesses by John Ankerberg and John Weldon. In his letter, Dr. Manti let the Watchtower organization know that he disagreed with their translation of the scripture. Not only that, but after a very detailed letter, he wrote the following, quote, The above are only a few examples of Watchtower mistranslations and perversions of God's word. In view of the preceding facts, especially because you have been quoting me out of context, I herewith request you not to quote the manual grammar of the Greek New Testament again, which you have been doing so for 24 years. Also, that you not quote it or me in any of your publications from this time on. End quote. In a video that can be found online titled, Does It Really Say This? Listen to what Dr. Manti says about the New World Translation and other Watchtower publications. He says, quote, I've never found any so-called translation that goes so far away from what the scripture actually teaches as these books published by Jehovah's Witnesses. They are so far away from what there is in the original Hebrew and the original Greek. End quote. In this same video, he goes on to say that you can't follow their translation, quote, because it's biased and deceptive, because they deliberately changed words in passages of Scripture. To make it fit into their doctrine, they distorted the Scripture in many passages, scores and scores of passages in the New Testament, mainly with the deity of Christ especially, end quote. In case you're interested in watching this video in its entirety, I have uploaded it on my website, brianoconnell.org. As I bring this episode to a close, let me recap what we've discussed in this episode. We've just looked at the New World Translation and seen that it is a distorted and extremely biased version of the Bible that is based on the Watchtower's beliefs instead of what the original biblical manuscripts say. We also saw that the New World Translation was put together by men who were not qualified to make such a translation due to their lack of education and lack of training in the biblical languages. I now want to look at where their theology originated. However, for the sake of time, we will have to look at the origin of Jehovah's Witness theology in our next episode. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we look at the heretical teachings from the 4th century. How does that teaching relate to our study of Jehovah's Witnesses? Come back next time to find out.
God bless.